data to be watching something on your phone in the middle of um, northeastern Arizona. <laughs> it's nice to have, uh, I don't know, I've never seen it. I've never had a cell satellite phone, but I've seen them, right? I guess they work everywhere. That's what I've seen on a show. A guy up on a mountain on a, on a satellite phone talking to somebody in L.A. And Paul has learned something that works everywhere. And that's contentment. And we're going to learn from what he learned. Philippians 4, let's read verse 10 to 14. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now the last year care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. So think about things that maybe you've learned in life. Think about things you've learned in life that have been pretty practical. I mean, we're, we're having these discussions as a homeschool family. Like, is this really practical? Do I need to know this? Why are we doing, why are letters involved in math, you know? <laughs> With algebra, and so we've tried to explain some things like, you know, this might be helpful when you're an engineer. I don't want to be an engineer. Well, you're still doing it, you know. So, uh, so that, but but in on honest, honestly, though, there are some subjects my wife and I are like, you know, we're just we don't need to do certain subjects because it really isn't practical unless they really show that there's some, you know, incredibly intelligent kid. Then we'll do this high advanced thing that. Um, what I mean until maybe go further in some science or some engineering. And, but we're trying to look at stuff that, that they would learn that's, that's helpful. How many practical things that you've learned that you, when you're younger that you uh, still use now? Maybe some practical things that your mom taught you. Maybe it's even as simple as cooking. I'm amazed at some people who don't know how to cook. You know, it's good to learn how to cook. You know, you can't always find a drive through It's open, you know. I mean, it's, uh, it's good to learn how to cook. It's good to learn how to sew. Um, you, it might come in handy one day. Maybe it already is for some of you all to save a few dollars. Like, I just, I'll just repair that and uh, that, that tear or whatever. Put the button back on because I learned how to sew. It's good to learn some things like that. And some men in here, maybe ladies, learned how to weld. Um, that's good. That's helpful. Um, learn how to start a fire in the woods when it's permitted. Um, contained without matches. Now, that would be cool. I haven't learned that yet. Um, you know, magnifying glass, or it's more, it's better to do it through the friction method, um, where, you know, if you don't have sun, you can still start a fire. That'd be neat to learn to start a fire without having to depend on matches. Uh, those are good things to learn. Changing a tire. You know, I taught my older boys how to change a tire, and I think I, I don't remember if Johnny was there for that lesson, so we might have to go down the line to Johnny, James, Noah, and Grant here soon, and um, teach them how to change a tire. 
And those are practical things that you learn in life. Paul, has, Paul's tell, Paul learned some practical things. You, if you look at the life of Paul, what an amazing life. And if you, you don't just find it in one mo- script, scripture. You, you've got to read the New Testament and you'll get the picture of Paul's life. Paul had a unique upbringing. He was ethnically and religiously Jewish. And, uh, but he was actually born and for a portion of his boyhood, a portion of his boyhood raised in a city called Tarsus. Tarsus was one of the leading cities of the day, especially in uh, commerce and uh, education. It had one. Of, there was three major libraries. It was like Athens, Alexandria, and Tarsus. They had major libraries. It was like an epicenter of learning. And Paul was b- born and brought up there. His dad was likely a, uh, a, you know, he was obviously, his dad was a Roman citizen and a Jew and uh, raised him there for a portion of his boyhood. Uh, Paul learned some things being in Tarsus. He learned the Gentile world, Gentile culture. He learned of commerce. The, the city of Tarsus is 12 miles north of, it's kind of in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean, 12 miles up coast. And Paul was raised in that city not far from the coast there. It kind of had a bay, a port, and a lot of things were coming in and out of the bay there. And through some, there were some major routes that are also coming by. But Paul saw that. He learned commerce. He learned culture. Gentile and Jewish culture. Um, he learned a craft. Paul became a, a tent maker. You know, um, he learned if he if he was uh, not uh, doing his apostolic work and uh, he was he knew how to make tents and made himself handy. Um, he learned uh, the commandments of God. At some point in his childhood, he was also said to have been brought up in Jerusalem. So probably some moment, maybe I don't know, maybe as age twelve, I don't know, went down into Jerusalem and was raised there for the remaining of his time because he said, I was brought up in the city under the feet of Gamaliel. He learned from the best of the best as far as the Jewish mind was concerned. He learned at the feet of the elite uh, Rabbi Gamaliel who, who knew the Bible. He was very, he was very um, obviously, they followed the Old Testament to a fault in some ways, not realizing that Christ is the end of the law to all that believe. But Gamaliel was highly, he was one of repute and one of respected, and Paul learned directly from him, learned the commandments of God and learned probably the strictest way to apply it, uh, at least on the externals. And Paul learned a lot of things. He learned, then when he became a Christian, he learned some more things, you know, of Jesus, the best thing. And uh, he learned that you're not, you're not justified with God by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That means nobody's going to get right with God by trying to do, do the law. You only get right with God by, only by believing on Jesus Christ alone. And he realized that and he learned that. And he learned the righteousness of God, which comes by faith. Paul learned some difficulties. He learned that uh, not everybody was happy when he became a Christian. And he was, people tried to hunt him down and kill him. And at one point, I can't remember if it was in the city of Damascus or somewhere, he, was, he had to hide him in a basket and let him down over the wall of a city to sneak him out because people were after him to kill him. Um, Paul learned different types of uh, travel, commute, right there in a basket. He learned to commute probably on a horse, very likely. He learned the commute of a ship and was even learned what it was like to be on a ship when there's a major storm. And he learned what it's like to be shipwrecked or, or have the ship break up and you have to survive, float on some wood to this island called Melita and survive there. Paul learned a lot of things. But here he tells us something it seems like he's um, most uh, happy, enthusiastic about. 
he learns this thing where he calls contentment. Look what he says there. Um, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have uh, learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He, here's this man who was a lot of formal learning, definitely had saturated with Christian learning. He spent a lot of time uh, in that. And now he says, I've learned, and he announces this virtue of contentment. What does it mean to be content? Because it's good that we get it clarified, and we may even do two messages for this. Content, you don't have to stretch it. You don't have to, it just means to be sufficed. (laughs) That's what it means. It means to be satisfied, to be appeased, to be able to adapt. Uh, The word is, there's two words there. Uh, the one word has the idea of adapt or appeased. In the first word, the, the original word is auto, auto-adapt. Um, some of us, most modern vehicles and, you know, um, some of the guys in here could elaborate on this better than me, but a lot of the modern vehicles are equipped with sensors and, you know, oxygen sensors and, and all that stuff. But here's one thing that, and you don't notice a lot of this until, well, I guess you might if a sensor goes out or some part on your car that you don't know the name of and hope it doesn't cost too much, then you're like, what's wrong with my car, you know? And you take your car and you find out, oh, it's this one sensor, you know? Sometimes there's sensors in the fuel system that affect the change. When your vehicle is used to this nice Arizona weather, then you go up to um, a higher elevation and maybe... Uh, a sensor or some regulator thing that's on there isn't working right. But most vehicles are, are, are built to be able to adjust all the elevations change, and so there's, a, there's some kind of adapter or sense that helps adjust the oxygen saturation or the fuel level because it's a matter of air and fuel mixing and going into the combustion chamber and getting the engine moving. And so these sensors learn to adjust to the elevation. Um, and to temperature, there's a you know, drop in temperature. There's, they've built these engines to where they learn to adjust to that. And I'm not going to tell you how they adjust. Derek can probably tell you better. Or humidity. And, so, and, and when those sensors aren't working, you notice that your, 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 your vehicle has difficulty adapting to you know, a little bit of a change. And that's basically what a contentment is. It's like God says, take this adapter, the virtue of contentment, and it's, it will help you adjust. If you reject this adapter, if you reject the virtue of contentment, you're going to have difficulty in life. But this adapter will work everywhere. So if I embrace the virtue of contentment, it works everywhere I go. Well, again, what is it? We see contentment, if we take the whole view here of what Paul's saying, and we're going to break it down, five simple points. If you take the whole view of these five verses, basically to sum it up in one statement, contentment is adapting to life with God's strength. Contentment means I'm adapting to life with God's strength. That's, the, that's kind of the saturated definition of it. There's, I can't find words used about 17 times in the Bible and I think I found at one or two where it's directly commanded. A lot of times it's like it is an example or something that's commended. But in Hebrews 13, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness. 
and be content with such things as ye have. For he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now think about that verse right there. In Hebrews, we're told to let our lifestyle be absent of really what's the opposite of contentment. Let your conversation, your lifestyle be without covetousness. That is, I got to have, I got to have, I got to have. It's that unhealthy lust. And be content with such things as you have because he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. So what else are you going to need? Think about this before we go any further. How many problems in life have come in my life, in your life, or even in the nation because people refuse to be content? Well, let's just just camp out right here for a minute. I'm going to name problems, and there could be multiple sources for these problems I'm going to name. But it might, some of the source might be what we're talking about today. How many divorces are because somebody's just antsy and they just, they don't, aren't content? Now, I'm not saying if there's a major problem, you don't try to fix it. You should. We're, and that's a point here, even in the text. Um, bouncing around jobs, you know, and, you know, we have a uh, short attention span. <clears throat> now, I mean, how long of our, our tip, you know, what's a typical show? It's like 30 minutes, I think. People watch a typical show. All right. We learned of a problem. We had a happy solution. We're done. All right, cool. That's a nice little show. We were entertained. There was a problem prevent, uh, presented, and we fixed it all in 30 minutes. And you think that's how life is. No, it's not. That's how it works in the studio, you know? So we get discontent and bouncing around on things in life and maybe departing jobs, bouncing around. Debt. Think about this. There's good debt, I would say. Dave Ramsey would probably tell me I'm dumb saying this, but there's some good debt and some bad debt. But there's also just debt that's like, what did that come from? I've known people, and a lot of times it's been younger couples where that's like, seem like you're doing fine, and, and then also you're like, oh, we have such and such thousands of dollars in debt. I'm thinking, what was that from? Uh, and it's usually nothing that matters. You know, the, the, you didn't need that extra fancy clothes for the summertime, you know, or that extra fancy um, car or the, you know, the, the vacation, that's good, but didn't have to do that. And, and the debt is represented by, uh, I, I was discontent to have something a little less and I wanted to have something more and you're probably still not content. Sometimes debt is a symptom of discontentment. I'm not saying you're, I'm not telling you if that, if you have debt today, that means you're discontent. I have a debt on my house. And, uh, but if it's like, what, if I'm looking at everybody else has, and I go, I gotta have that because I'm not content till I do. And I do it to the extent that I run up debt on frivolous things on like stuff that's, I already have clothes, but I have to have the something three times as much or I already have a decent car, but I have to have something, you know, because I saw what my neighbor had. Discont- what I'm saying is discontentment can cause a lot of problems. So we've got to regulate ourselves. I've got to regulate myself. Um, you can look in 3 John, not right now, but in 3 John there was a man in that congregation who was kind of rough. And one of the symptoms, he was discontent, and John said one of the, well, one of his symptoms was his depreciating words on the other people. 
if you're always putting depreciating words on other people, that's a sign of discontentment. It was, I think it was uh, one of the, I don't got to name his name in case I get it wrong, but Third John. A disgruntled attitude is a sign of discontentment. All right, so here we are. We're in the Bible, and all we really want to do is see how Paul made a happy adaptation. Because <laughs> it, it really was a happy adaptation to where he was. Did you know by this time when we're looking at these words, he was at least three years in limbo, illegal limbo, in an unfair scenario. He may have gone another year. He may have been total of four years, uh, two years in this house arrest. This is, you can read about in Acts 28. And then the two years before this house arrest, he was floating around. I mean, he, it all started when he went to Jerusalem, well-meaning, among his Jewish friends, and they framed him and accused lies about him and took him and almost pulled him apart, and the Romans intervened, and then they had him heard by this guy and heard by this guy, and then taken up to Caesarea, which was like a, in Israel, but it was like a, um, an off-site capital for the Romans. And he was there for two years in Caesarea, still waiting trial. And he found out that his countrymen wanted to kill him. His countrymen! Wanted to kill him for, for no good legal reason or moral reason. So he's like, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. God said I'm supposed to be going to Rome anyway, so maybe this is the way he's going to have me get there. And he gets to Rome. He bounces around different places. He has the shipwreck that I told you about. Finally, he's on Melita, this island with barbarous people there. And God uses him in a good way there. Then he finds his way finally into Rome, and he's uh, under house arrest in Rome. He'd really been four years, and there's no legal thing settled for him. There's no justice. And yet, he's like, you know, I've learned something. <laughs> I've learned to adapt to this deal. So let's see here. There's a lot of, I, there's a lot of different ways we could preach this. I'm going to try to stay as close to the Bible text, this text, as I can. First of all, we're going to see that he seeks an improvement. Even though he's learning contentment, he seeks life improvement still. Um, Num so, verse 10, look at verse 10. He says, um, Now, I or he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Uh, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. That's his, this is Philippians 4, verse 10. The first point here is that he seeks an improvement. Paul though he's like under this house arrest and though he's uh, been there for a while, it's not like he's like, I'm content, so I don't care if I get out. No, he's, he wants to. You could look in chapter 1. He, he's like, I look forward to getting out through your prayers. Right, and, and he has a confidence that it's going to happen. And, um, and then in chapter 3, he talks about a type of improvement that he wanted to see in his life. My whole point on this is that being content doesn't cancel out the idea of, I want to improve something. It doesn't cancel out the idea that you should desire to improve something. Paul's desiring to, to move forward here. And then in chapter 3, he says, you know, I, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That means he says, I'm trying to learn more of Jesus, experience more with Jesus, even if it means suffering. 
and, and finish the course and grab onto the thing for which he grabbed onto me to do. I want, I'm going after something. He's not, this is my point, he's not passive. To be spiritually, to be content the way the Bible says it doesn't mean you're just passive. I don't really care what happens. Whatever. It's not a whatever thing. It's not like that. It means that you can still seek improvement. Paul seeks improvement. He desires to get out. Right here, he's, he's even in chapter 4, verse... What's happening here, chapter 4, verse 10? He's, he's responding back to the Philippians saying, Hey, thanks for the gift. Adam referred to this in Sunday school. He's like, thank you for giving me whatever it was. It was Epaphroditus that came, and there was some sort of gift with him. With this messenger from the Philippian church, they visited him in, in his, in, in his uh, apprehension. And um, he's chained, by the way, to a Roman all the time. They visit him, and Paul's like, this is good. He's happy about it. He's delightful to have an improvement to us, and maybe it's the food was better. I don't know. Maybe he was looking for some, you know, authentic Philippian hummus, you know. Finally, I don't know. I mean, I'm being silly, but there was something that Epaphroditus, the person was a pleasant gift, and Epaphroditus had something with him. And he's like, oh, thank you. He's glad for an improvement. The whole point is, is like when we're, as we're talking about this virtue of contentment, there's the idea, and there's, there was been a philosophy in, in the last 2,000 years. It was really in this century. I think it's Stoics, where it's like, I don't, you want to train yourself to not want anything and need anything in the sense of enjoying it. No, it's okay to, you know, um, God's given us all things richly to enjoy. But at the same time, what happens when you, when you don't, when the improvement's not possible? What happens when the improvement's not possible? Right now, a lot of people, the improvement for their being in an apartment or a house or being in a house to something else, it's not possible because our, our, our finances are constrained. Most people, people in our, this weird economy and the, <coughs> excuse me, the price of housing in Arizona, so people are like, I got to make do. Got to make do with this. My kids are doing that. My wife and I are looking like it was, it's harder on them than it was on us. We, were, we weren't able to get a house as soon as my oldest have, I don't think. But it, took, it was a little easier for us, and it could be just a moment. But, but what do you do? What do you do? They, I want my kid. Yeah, you want to get a house? Cool, go get a house. But what happens when they can't? Then throw a fit and cry to God and go blame everything on Biden. That's what you should do. Right. No, be content. Adapt. All right, so that's what are we learning from Paul? Paul shows us that though he's content, he seeks an improvement. Number two. <coughs> Excuse me. Yet yeah, he learned to adapt in his spirit. He learned to adapt, first of all, in his spirit. Now, it's one thing to say, I'm adapting in my, okay, um, I got to adapt my clothing because it's cold. It's another thing to say, I got to adapt my attitude first. And that's what Paul adapted first. He said, again, let's read the Bible. Um, not He's basically saying, hey, I'm glad that you gave me this gift in verse 10. And then verse 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. In other words, he's saying, hey, Philippians, thank you for this gift. But I want to tell you, I'm not saying like I'm poor and impoverished and I couldn't get by. Mm -mm. I was able to get by. I'm not in want. Want is not how we use it. I want it's literally a lack, whether you, the emotion is there or not. He says, I'm not saying that, I'm, I, that I've really just been devastated and I lack. No, 
I, I've learned to adapt. And you can see the first thing that's adapted is Paul's spirit, his attitude, right? Christianity is a thing that goes from the inside out. And contentment starts on the inside and works its way out. And adapting starts on the inside of me and then works its way out. There's a couple, I was thinking about this. And I, it's a, there's different ways I've had to learn it. And I don't want anybody to misunderstand the, the example I'm going to give now, but a few years ago, no, it was probably maybe five. I don't know. We had all of our kids. Charity wasn't born. But I think it was Michael and Johanna were in college coming and going. <clears throat> Excuse me. Gideon was, I think, about to start his junior year at a Christian school. The other kids were, maybe even Susie, I can't remember. But we had this scenario. We had our eight kids, and now the summer window of doing a vacation was like, oh, wait, well, oh, you got to be at college at this time, and then you got to be at this time. But then they start, and then, whoa, whoa, and we're doing Bible time and camping. Whoa, the window to be able to do a family vacation got really small. And we thought, oh, boy. And so, in other words, if we didn't get this, we couldn't get everybody. uh, It would only be like a short window of time to get everybody together. And, um, again, I think this is maybe five to seven years ago. And so we had a vacation we planned to do, and um, I was like, we're going to do 10 days. Even if we're not on this place, well, at least we're going to be together for 10 days. And um, we went, ended up going to Alpine, which is like north, well, east Arizona, not far from the New Mexico border, and high elevation uh, little town. Got a little Airbnb there. The Lord, it was a blessing. We were able to buy this little quad, this motorcycle, for a good price. That's a whole other story. And then... Um, we rented one, I believe, or borrowed another one. I can't remember what, what it was. But we ended up having two in a trailer. I think I borrowed Derek's trailer. Um, and that was such a fun little trip. But what, what I, had to, I had to work out something in my spirit because I had this 10-day plan. Not that we'd be gone all the 10 days. Maybe be gone seven. And then the other days we'd do something cool down here. Well, something happened. And that's some things I need to take care of as a pastor for our church. And I'm glad to do that, and I'll ne- I always want to be able to, to respond to needs. Don't anybody hesitate, please. If I can't, I say no. Okay. So I lovingly, willingly respond as much as I can to anything that our church needs. It's an um, immense privilege. But in this window, I was like, okay. I had something. It was a big thing that happened uh, in the summertime, and so I had to deal with this. And so... Um, Shorten. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. We shortened the window to four days for having everybody together, and uh, and and then I thought, and then I'm like, this is not right. It's not fair, because I don't have any other recourse here. Well, they're going to be gone. Have, they're going to go back to college, and they're going to start this school. And I'm like, this is. I I can't change anything, and I couldn't except deal with the four days of everybody together. And I really, <coughs> excuse me. I think it may have even happened while we were out, and I had, or right before we left, it, the, the vacation got greatly shortened. And so I, in this very passage, wasn't even reading it recently, but this very passage of Paul says, you know, I've learned something. Whatever 
situation I'm in, therewith to be, and I just, and then content, and I'm like, what does content mean? And I looked at them and said, oh, it means to auto-adapt. Auto ha ha, I got to automatically adapt, right? And it had to start from the inside out. And I had to learn from this passage, you just need to take the four days that you have with everybody and make it what it is, and don't let your spirit be rejecting it while you're walking through the motions of doing it. And that ended up being a, a pleasant vacation. My two older boys have told me they really love that one because, primarily because of my motorcycles. That's, you know, like our, our horse, you know. We can't get a horse and get a motorcycle. And so when we did some riding, it was a lot of fun for particularly the older guys. And uh, in fact, I, I don't even know if it was legal, but I, I in fact, I, I found out later it wasn't, to be honest. Uh, we... We went up on a, we rode up on like this area. It was like a plateau. I think it was me and Gideon. Gideon may have been on another one. It was me. And I don't know if Johnny was riding. I had one, were you riding with me when, that, when it had that herd of elk or deer? That was cool. We were riding. All of a sudden, we get up on this plateau, and Gideon's right. And there's this huge herd. Well, maybe 20. That's huge to me. <laughs> of deer or elk or something that I'd like to kill and eat. Um, and they started running, and they were running the same direction as us. It was cool, we're like running parallel. I mean, they're still, they're still 50, 60 feet away, but they're running. I'm like, whoa, this is cool. Yeah, look at them, they're running. And they ended up getting away from us, and we just trailed out. And then I found out later on, that's a no-no. Don't be, you know, getting close to them. And, oh, we're off a trail. That's what it was. I was off trail. And so, but the boys liked that, and it turned out being good. And I maybe could have ruined it if my spirit didn't change, you know. And so contentment is learning to adapt from, first of all, in your spirit to, a, to an improvement that you're still waiting to have. That's Paul. That's what it is. Number three, he learned to adapt in all types of situations. Look at verse 11 and 12. So he said, I, uh, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned whatsoever state I am, anyone, any state, therewith to be content. Wow, how do you do that, Paul? Well, verse 12, he says, I know both types. I, both, I know how to be abased. That means, that means made poor and, and have it really slim. And he says, I know how to abound. Whoa, what are you talking about? He says, everywhere, no matter where the location is, and in all things, I am instructed from God both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. It's almost like God came up to Paul one day and said, all right, Paul, when you don't have much except some crumbs in the prison, deal with it. He said he was instructed that way. And Paul, when you are at, the, at a spread of a large meal with somebody else, deal with it. Don't feel guilty. And Paul, when you only have one or two converts in that Gentile city, deal with that. Work with it. And then when you go to whatever, another city, and there's a, a tons of people and it's a little challenging, but deal with that. And... Um, he says, I'm instructed, and when you're hungry, you I'm hungry, be hungry. And when there's full, be full. See, sometimes we think it, it, we think contentment only deals with the deficits, and, and, and usually it does for us Americans. <laughs> like, you know. But it, it also deals with uh, abundance. Can I manage abundance and deal with it? 
If God put it on me and I can't change it, yeah. If God puts some abundance on you, abounding, I got to learn to manage it and be content with that until a perceived improvement comes in my mind. Um, excuse me. You know, failure is a test, right? When you don't have much or you fail at something, it tests your character, right? If I fail or if I'm given a little bit to work with, that's going to test my character. If like, all right, we're giving you, you know, we're going to put you on a desert island and we're going to give you, you know, a spool of thread and a knife and a can of soda. Let's see what you can do, MacGyver, you know. And that's a test of your character of what you can do. But that's a test. But also, success is a test. All right, we're giving you all these people and these resources and this thing, and what are you going to do now? They're both a test. They're both a test. Um, All right, Spurgeon said, it's not how much we have. Now, this is a good, I like this. It's not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. Here's what another... uh, Puritan preacher from the 1600s said, and this is good. I I think this resonates a lot with me. He says this, What a foolish thing is this, that because I have not got what I want, I therefore will not enjoy the comfort of what I have. That's a good point. Just because I don't have what what I want, doesn't mean I shouldn't enjoy what I already have then. He says, there's a great deal of folly in a discontented heart. So what, the point, the way we're looking at this, Paul, you learned something, we want to learn it. Well, we see that you, you're, you, you're not against improvements of life and you're not passive. We see that you first adapt in your spirit. And we see that um, you learn to adapt in all things, everywhere in all things, abundance or deficits. And then fourthly, he says, I can do all these situations, number four, through Christ. <laughs> oh, boy, that, that figures it all out right there. I can do all this through Jesus, which strengtheneth me. Now, that's the context of the verse. I thought it was only for sports. I thought that Paul put that in there to help the baseball players. You know, I thought it was in there when I was bowling. And I, I'm like, I can do this all things through Christ. I can get a good strike, man. No, it's for contentment. I mean, you can apply it if you want, but he says in respect to all these things and thing, that thing in this situation, and I can, I can, I can do it through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Oh, there's another point. Here's the idea of contentment. When I'm discontent, that's a sign that I'm weak and I need to be strengthened. That's how it is for me. I can admit that. When I'm discontent, there's a... Now, there's a healthy... Maybe we'll talk about it next time. There's a healthy sort of discontentment. We're like, ah, this, there's something sinful. We've got to change it. There's something that could be... There's, there's that. But I'm talking about with the typical American discontentment is really evidence of weakness. And I need Christ to strengthen me to do all things. This is what he says. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. See, Paul probably couldn't dunk a basketball, but he could probably last longer in a jail than a basketball player. That's where that verse came in. And it's because of his spirit that learned to adapt. But Jesus, um, one thing we, nobody can do, nobody can do heaven without Christ. 
Nobody can get to heaven without, nobody, you can't do God. <laughs> you mean nobody can handle standing before God safely except by Jesus Christ coming through him and him making you right with God and accounting you as saved. And that's what the Bible says. Um, Jesus said, uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. If a person wants to safely go to God and have eternal life, Come and put your faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, you are therefore my child and you're forgiven. Go to heaven. That's how it is when we uh, trust Jesus in this life now, in our heart, accept him in our heart as our personal Savior. He accounts us as saved and we can do eternal life through him. So here's this thing here. He could do all situations through Christ. And then number five, last point, look at verse 14. Yet, he speaks gratefully when the improvement does come. Look what he says. So he says, I can do all things through Christ. I've learned to adapt. And then, but then he says in verse 14, notwithstanding, you've done well. You have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, I learned to, maybe there was some, uh, maybe there was an extra garment that helped. Maybe there was a pillow that they brought. Maybe there was some food. And he didn't have it before, so he adapted but when Epaphroditus brought those things, he said, that's great. And he says, uh, thankfully, thank you for that improvement. Philippians, you did well to communicate with this affliction that I'm dealing with. You did well. In other words, <coughs> the idea is <coughs> contentment is learning to deal with stuff until, while I'm waiting on improvements, learning to deal with life while I'm waiting on improvements. But when the improvement comes, don't be like, it's about time. I ought to have this. He wasn't like that. He didn't say, yeah, you, it's about time, you Philippians. Don't you realize what kind of prisoner I am for you? No, he says, thank you. I think that's the evidence of if we've been to Kit 10 or not, is when your improvement that you've been desiring comes, how do you react to it? Well, we need to react gratefully. I was blessed, this little story. There's another pastor that told it. What a little incident that I read about. There's a guy named Tim. Uh, this is in the 90s in the, another state. It was Michigan. This guy named Tim was a college student. He, he graduated from college and did well. He's a um, talented, pretty decent-looking guy. Uh, went into The college he went to, my understanding, was a Christian college that had the ability to teach you secular skills and everything and ministry skills. But he, he went from his Christian college to uh, work at some factory or some business, I can't remember what it was, and he did well there. So he's in his mid to late 20s, doing well, six, kind of go, going up a ladder. Um, and then he gets sick. <clears throat> and he's in the, and he's not getting better. So he goes to the hospital and he's like, man, I don't know what this is. He calls up one of his professors from his Christian college. His name was Brown, Professor Brown. He says, hey, I'm in the hospital. I, I think I just got some kind of bad flu. And he's like, he goes, well, I'll come visit you then. The, the professor had been a pastor for years, and he loves that, that type of work and not just staying in the classroom. So he came, and he visited him in the hospital, and they'd got some tests back pretty soon after that that showed basically he has leukemia. This guy's in mid to late 20s. He's got leukemia. You know, promising person by way of talent and and uh, achievements already, because he's a Christian. And, um, and that, the professor visited him, and he, everything, probably prayed together. But pretty soon, 
after that, he found out he had leukemia. So that began a three-year battle for him, this guy named Tim. Three years later, he's in the, another, I don't know if it's the same hospital, but he's in the hospital again, this time laying on his side, pillow between his knees, can't sit up, very, very skinny. And um, his professor, friend, comes to visit him again. And um, came, in the, came in the hospital room. Guy was laying down. His mom was in there, actually. Laying down. Couldn't sit up, so the professor came in. and um, He had to kind of kneel down by him to talk. And he said, um, hey, professor. I said, hey there. Just kind of sat silently for a little bit. And then he said, Tim, he said, um, you know, I've learned something. Oh, good. That's good to tell your teacher. He said, what did you learn? What have you learned? And he said, um, I've learned that Life is not like a VCR, DVD player. And the professor's like, um, okay, what do, you, what do you mean by that, Tim? Um, he says, life is not like a, a VCR. You don't get a fast forward the, the parts you don't like. have to go through all these episodes. Hmm. The professor thought, that's pretty good. Thinking I haven't learned that even. And then the, the guy, Tim, furthermore said, but I've also learned that Jesus Christ is in every frame. And right now, that's just enough. That's contentment in a hard spot, isn't it? He's enough. Let me ask you, I, don't, I mean, I know we have different things we all deal with, but are, are you learning it? You think God's trying to teach you contentment in a certain area? We have a great example here in Paul. Are you say, I don't want to learn that. Yeah. All right. It's going to be like the car that, the sensor's not working good when it goes somewhere else. But contentment works everywhere if we'll accept it and allow God to teach us it. Do you even desire that? 